This is uh, interesting um, about a man uh, who, at the age of 17, was an apprentice shipwright, and uh, he appeared in a public concert held in the firm's canteen at Hyde in Essex. Intending to give a serious display of magic, he walked onto the stage, and as soon as the, the curtains parted, he forgot all his lines. For a while, he just stood there, opening his mouth, only to close it again. The audience was spellbound. All right, he thought, get on with it. He got on with it and everything went wrong. His grand finale was the milk bottle trick. You have a bottle full of milk, he told the entranced audience, and you put paper over the top. You turn the bottle upside down and take the paper away. The milk stays in. With bated breath, the audience watched. He turned the bottle. He paused for effect. He took away the paper, drenched all over him. As if he'd not done enough already, he then got stage fright and began working his mouth furiously without any sound coming out. At this point, he started to tremble and walked off, perspiring heavily. Once in the wings, he heard the massed cheers of a standing ovation. His future glory was assured. His name? Tommy Cooper. Yes. A failure who became one of the best-loved uh, comedians uh, that, we've, that this country has known. Ah, oh, dear. Um, now, when you have failed somebody or let them down, I just wonder, uh, how did they deal with you? Did they deal with you um, kind of rather harshly? Um, you know, make you have an hard, even harder time because you let them down? Um, I just wonder how that person uh, would have dealt with you. Well, last week we were thinking about Peter on the day of Pentecost, who surely in the Bible was one of the, the biggest failures, in that he, he was always letting people down, wasn't he, with his big mouth, size 12 mouth. Every time he opens it, he put his foot in it. Um, but on that last occasion, on, on, when Jesus was going for the trial, he really let Jesus down big time, didn't he? No going back for Peter from that stage. And so last week, uh, remember, I hit the piece of rock and talked about Jesus chose Peter and he called him Peter because his name means rock. But there at that end of the gospel is a broken rock, a rock who just weeps bitterly because he has totally let his Lord down. How would he be dealt with? Well, we need to remember that Jesus uh, is the man who's in the restoration business. He is the restorer of our souls. As the Psalm 23 talks about the good shepherd who restores our souls. In Isaiah 42, when it talks about the, the servant, he says he, will be, he won't even break off a bruised reed. He's going to be someone who comes and gently restores now, today's reading that Adrian read to us comes from the end of John's Gospels. I'd like you to open your Bibles at that uh, passage, if you would. Um, and um, we're going to look at this very carefully, this passage. This is, is headed uh, in NIV, Jesus Reinstates Peter. Uh, I'd like to call this Restoring the Broken Rock. Restoring the Broken Rock. What we've read about in this passage is the public restoration of Peter. In public, 
he has let Jesus down. And so now, in public, Jesus restores him and sets him back on his feet again. But you know, there's something in the Bible which is not said, but it's hinted at. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had met Peter. And we don't read any details about that other meeting because it was a private meeting. But we do know that in Luke's Gospel, and at the end of the journey to Emmaus, road to Emmaus, that the, the two disciples, possibly Cleopas and his wife or whoever it was, run back to Jerusalem and they meet the other disciples and they say, we've met the Lord. And they say, yes, we know. Uh, and he's also appeared to Peter. He's also appeared to Peter. Jesus has had a private meeting with, with Peter in order to put things right. Now, I wonder what he said. I wonder what he said to him. Well, we don't know. We just don't know. But we do know that Jesus is in the restoration business. So whatever he said to Peter meant that Peter was still with the group of, of, of 12 and the 120 on Pentecost and that the preparation work had been done, ready for the Spirit to come and revive Peter in order to get up and make that amazing preach, that amazing sermon, with 3,000 people coming to faith. Now, how did Peter get to that stage? Well, obviously, the day of Pentecost has something to do with it, the coming of the Spirit. But before that, Jesus has restored the broken rock. Peter has been forgiven. He knows it. So when he comes up and the spirit comes in, that comes as a kind of affirmation of what Jesus has already done for him. A private reconciliation followed by a public restoration. When Jesus uh, restores Peter in public, what does he say to him? Very simply, do you love me? Now just thinking back to the time that you've maybe uh, failed... And maybe you failed at work and your boss uh, called you into the office. You might have said something like, what went wrong? Uh, why did you do that? Uh, what lessons have you learned? That's a good one. What lessons have you learned from your failure? Uh, well, like, Peter didn't get any of those questions from Jesus. Simply, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is not saying, let's analyse what went wrong, Peter. Let's go back over it. Simply, do you love me? But then, of course, he asks three times, do you love me? How do you think Peter felt? You know, when you've answered a question and they ask it again, it's... It's a bit, a bit embarrassing, isn't it? When they ask it three times and you've already answered it. Why did he ask him three times? Well, clearly because three times Peter denied Jesus in public. And so the three uh, do you love me's uh, coincide with the three I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. There's, there's justice here, isn't there? There's some restorative justice going on. Let's have a look at the questions uh, a little bit more closely, and I'm sure you've heard people preach on this many times. Um, notice what Jesus calls Peter. 
Let's have a look. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. He goes back to his old name. The old kind of name of of Simon the, the, the fisherman before he started following Jesus. Jesus reverts to that name. Simon, son of John. He's looking back. And then he asks him this question. Do you truly love me more than these? It's a funny thing. More than these. More than what? More than these fishing nets? Peter, you, you love fishing, but do you love me more than your job? You remember it's Peter that said, I'm going fishing in one of the resurrection narratives. That was his whole life. Do you love me more than your fishing nets? Or possibly, more than these, do you love me more than these other disciples? Why would he ask that? Well, in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 1, in chapter 14, Peter says, if all others fall away, Lord, I will not fail you. In other words, Peter is boasting that that he is better than the other disciples. He's never going to fail Jesus. And so Jesus might be asking him, uh, do you truly love me more than these, as you boasted? Possibly. Do you love me more than these? What would he say to you and me? I think he might say to me, Laurie, do you truly love me more than your guitar? Do you truly love me more than your camera? Do you truly love me more than Karen? Or whatever? I think he might ask us those personal questions. Do you truly love me more than this? Because we, we are called to love Jesus more than anything. Because he loved us more than anything. Peter's answer. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter's rather getting a bit irate, really, because Jesus knows that Peter loves him, really, but he still asks him the question three times. You know that I love you. And, and it tells us that after two more attempts, Peter is hurt. Now, let's have a look at these questions a little bit more carefully. Um, now, the NIV is actually, in, in my opinion, not that I'm an expert, is, is the best translation because it actually draws out the differences between the words that John has used in this passage. Some of the other translations use the same word in each question. Uh, But actually, the word is different in each question. So let's have a look. Um, When Jesus says, do you truly love me? Uh, The NIV is translating that word truly love as the the Greek word agape, which is a, a kind of deep love, which means sacrificial love. The kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross. And when it just uses the word love, it is using the word filia, which is a kind of a family love, as you would love a a brother or or somebody in your family. Um, So, interesting that, that Peter doesn't answer the question directly. Jesus says, do you truly love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So, do you love me enough to die... For me, Peter says, yes, you know I love you as a brother, Lord. So I'm kind of partly answering. He's a bit of a politician, isn't he? Um, 
You know, there was somebody on question time yesterday uh, that was, uh, uh, that this politician was being asked about, um, oh no, whether Kim Jong-il or whatever he is, um, or, or Donald Trump were the best, were the most effective leader. And he kept trying to twist the question around to talk about Brexit, which, which was completely bizarre. And actually David Dimbleby was very good. He said, well actually come back and answer the question. Answer the question. Which is the best leader? That was the question. Jesus says, do you truly love me in a sacrificial way? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you as a brother. Second question. Um, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In other words, exactly the same. Look at the third question. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me as a brother, Peter? And this time, Peter can honestly say, yes, Lord, I love you as a brother. Now, I think that's interesting, that Jesus demands, he asks for that sacrificial love, which is, uh, we are meant to love other people as Jesus loved us. Jesus loved us by laying down his life on a cross, How many of us truly love other people to that extent? If we're really honest, I mean, when the crunch came to the crunch, I don't know, uh, you know, how each of us would respond. But Peter at last can answer the question um, truly. Now, I find this interesting how Jesus starts with that really high demand, and then finally he settles for Peter's, if you like, brotherly love. Now, the first time Karen and I went to Kenya, we, we spent a couple of days in Nairobi before uh, we, we travelled out to the Western Highlands, and uh, we were staying in this little hotel uh, quite near the, the centre, and as we were wandering around the, the town, uh, people come up to you in, in Kenya and start talking to you, and, oh, welcome, my brother, you know, they, they always want to welcome you, but it doesn't take long before they start asking you for something and uh, telling you about something. And one man came up to us and said, have you, seen, have you been to the Maasai shop? Uh, uh, where, uh, and we said, no, no, we haven't seen the Maasai shop. Come with me, he said. So we went down this rather dingy back street, and as we went down this street, um, uh, it got even dingier, and then there was this rather dark, dusty-looking building, and we went inside, and it was absolute pile of all this Maasai craft stuff. There were carved wooden animals, there were big shields on the wall, there were massive knives and spears and horrible looking masks and uh, it, was, it was a very amazing kind of place full of all this, all this stuff, really dusty and dirty. And, and he said, my friends, come in, come in. Uh, and he gave us this big bowl and, and he said, you come in, you put whatever you want in this bowl, and, and then afterwards we will, we will talk about the price. Put whatever you like in. So we, we had this bowl, and well, we thought, okay, we'll humour him. So we picked up five little carved ebony animals, um, a necklace, an ebony necklace for Karen, and um, I think there was a, a nameplate with caribou, which is hanging up actually, and you come into our house, you'll see that caribou. So we, 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 we got these 
seven small items. And then, and then we said, right, okay, that, that, that will do us. And he said, oh, don't you want anything else? He said, no, no, this is, this is fine. He said, right, okay, come here, come to this room. So we went into this room that was surrounded by knives hanging in the wall. And, and these Maasai warriors... And, um, and he said, right, now, what we do, I write down my price, you write down yours, and then we will negotiate. Okay. So I wrote down 1,000 shillings, which is about 10 pounds. Okay. Oh, no, 20 pounds. Was it 20 pounds? Well, I put down 1,000 shillings. He got his bit of paper out. 28,500 shillings, which was about 250 pounds. So I said, that's just ridiculous. You know, a thousand is, is, is as far as I'm going to go. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, he said, no, no, these are really, these are real ebony. And he kept, he laid it on thick. And, and I said, no, no, I'm, I'm not prepared uh, to pay anything like that. And eventually, eventually I said, all right, I'll give you 2,000 shillings. And that's my, my final offer. Oh, no, oh, but my children are starving. And, uh, so, anyway, no, we said, no, I'm sorry, that's as much as we're prepared to pay, so thank you very much, we will we'll say goodbye. So we, we put the basket down and we walked out of the shop and we walked back to our hotel through the streets of Nairobi. Anyway, we just about got to our hotel and this little man with a carrier bag came running up <laughs> and he said, 2,000 shillings. And I said, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, uh, that was, that was my, my highest offer. So um, eventually, just to get rid of him, I took out one item, just, which happened to be the necklace for Karen. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> I took out one. I said, a thousand shillings, that's all I'm going to give you for, for it. You know. and, 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 and eventually he, he, he left. So you get the trick. He started with the very, very highest price. I mean, absolutely absurd, uh, £250 for these seven items. The further west in Kenya you go, the cheaper you can buy them, where, where they make them. You know, you can get them a lot, a lot cheaper. Um, he started with the highest demand, but actually he finally settled for what I was prepared to offer. Can you see it's exactly what Jesus has done? He starts with Peter with the highest demand. Do you truly love me more than these? But finally he accepts Peter's, yes Lord, you know that I love you as a brother. Which is as much as Peter could honestly offer. Is Peter in a position there to actually say, yes Lord, I'm prepared to die for you, when he's already said that once and failed? Jesus accepts his lower offer. Now notice Jesus' response to Peter's answers. Um, In his first calling, um, in Mark chapter 1, when the fishermen are called, he says, come with me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in this second recommissioning, uh, Peter is going to become the shepherd of God's people. He's going to become the head of the church, if you like, the the one who, who, the the apostle who brings the teaching uh, of Jesus to the church and shepherds God's people. And Jesus gives Peter a new command and new tasks. Let's have a look at what they are. Look at the commands. The first time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. Second time he says, 
Take care of my sheep. And then finally, he says, feed my sheep. Now, there are some translations of the Bible that make all three of those the same because uh, they don't follow enough the words. But actually, first one, feed my lambs. In other words, new believers, the new people in Christ, feed them, give them what they need to grow in faith. Now, that's actually quite an easy task. Because when people are new believers, they lap up teaching. They love to learn all about Jesus and about the Bible. And and teaching new believers is relatively easy. Uh, Take care of my sheep. Now he's talking about the older, maturer Christians, the flock. Take care of my sheep. And that can be tough. To be a shepherd looking after sheep. To be a pastor looking after a church can be tough. Because sheep are sometimes stubborn. It has to be said that pastors are sometimes stubborn as well. Um, But take care of my sheep is a tough call. In my first church when I was a student, one of my deacons was a shepherd. And uh, Keith, one day, he came into church on a Sunday morning with a knee the size of a football. And the reason was one of the sheep had head-butted him. Uh, well, knee-butted, you know, straight into his... And, and made his knee swollen up. Looking after big sheep is tough work. They're, they're stubborn uh, and, you know, they tend to be go wherever they want to go. And then finally, feed my sheep. Now, if feeding newborn Christians is fairly easy, how do you feed my sheep? Well, William Temple was former Archbishop of Canterbury. And in his excellent book, uh, Readings in St. John's Gospel, of which my little bit of paper's fallen out. Oh, there it is. That's good. This is is, uh, what William Temple has to say about this little passage, about this new commission. The commissions follow an ascending scale. Uh, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, Feed my sheep. The change in expression shows that some change in meaning is intended. Feed my lambs. The first charge is to supply the needs of the young of the flock. A task of infinite responsibility, but not, as spiritual work is reckoned, conspicuously difficult. For the lambs are ready to accept the sustenance offered to them. Tend my sheep. The second charge is to exercise general guidance of the flock, including its mature members a task for one of greater experience than the first. Feed my sheep. The third charge is the hardest, to supply the needs of the mature members of the flock, for it is less easy to discern their needs than those of the lambs, and they often have no knowledge of what their own needs are, or still worse, suppose that they know when in fact they do not. Don't you think that's wonderful? Uh, Very, very insightful from the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple. But Peter is given this new commission to be the shepherd of the flock, with all that entails, feeding and caring for his flock. But then Peter, uh, Jesus, goes on to predict that Peter's ultimate task will be how he dies. That last passage, that one day you will be led where you don't want to go. Someone else will stretch your arms out. Um, He predicts 
Peter's death. And legend has it that Peter was crucified uh, upside down. I think it was upside down, wasn't it? Or uh, diagonally, I think it was. Certainly, um, all of the disciples, apart from John, met uh, a martyr's death. What about the application to us? Let's just bring this back to earth now. All of us are broken to a certain extent. All of us in our lives have elements of brokenness. We have uh, emotional or physical injuries from the past. We have uh, weaknesses in the present. Um, And in, in our brokenness... If Jesus were to meet us, as he did with Peter, what would his question be? Do you know, I think it would be the same. Do you truly love me? I don't think Jesus is into going into all the past and, 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 and bringing up all that stuff in order to beat us with it and make us feel guilty. Jesus is only really interested... He is interested in healing the past... But he's only really interested in whether we love him. Do you love me? That's the question that Jesus asks us today. And we need to answer whether I can answer it fully. Yes, Lord, you know that I, agape, love you. Or whether, Lord, you know I love you as much as I can. And Jesus is willing to accept wherever we start. And hopefully, as we start little, uh, I might love him uh, little, and then I hope to love him more, I think is in one of the communion prayers, isn't it? Lord, we love you a little, but we want to love you more. The second thing is this, Jesus takes us as we are. He doesn't say, when you've hopped through all these hoops, when you've got rid of that particular habit that's, that besets you, when you've uh, put right this in your life, then I'll accept you. He takes us just as we are. With all of our brokenness, with all of our hurts, he restores us. He restores my soul. And then he wants to use us. Uh, The idea of a church as a hospital where people come to be healed is a good one. But it's a military hospital rather than a kind of a a hospital that, that, that turns into a care home. You know? He wants to use us just as we are. And he wants to restore us. And that is everyone, from the youngest to the oldest, whatever your ability, once we've been restored, we have a use. Jesus has a use for us. One of the things we did uh, a couple of times at Totterdown uh, was we used a local artist, um, David Bowers, who was an excellent mosaic artist. And and we did a a human sundial in the park. And uh, uh, mosaic is a fantastic medium. Because you take lots of broken pieces and you put them together in a new way that actually is very beautiful. So if you go to Parrot's Park in Bristol, you can see a lovely human sundial with uh, the mosaics made by the local schools and the playgroup and our church youth club. Um, A mosaic is a lovely image for restoring a broken person. And then finally, um, the third thing, is this, Jesus gives us a unique new task. The task he calls you to is not the same as the task he calls me to. Because you're different, and I'm, we're different to each other. 
And therefore, although he loves us equally and he restores us, he has a different task for each one. Now, Peter hasn't got that, because Peter, having been restored, looks over his shoulder and says, what about him, Lord? What about him? Looking at John. And Jesus' simple answer is, don't worry about him. What I've got planned for him is between him and me. It's not to do with you, Peter. So don't compare yourself with other people. It's, it's, it's a terrible trap to fall into. Ministers can do it ever so easily. You know, you look at the minister of the church down the road and you see the fantastic things that they're doing and you think, oh, I wish I was like that minister. But actually, we're all different. And we're all called to do a different task. So to copy the person down the road is not what being a Christian is about. It is simply follow Jesus. You follow me, Jesus says. Don't worry about him. You follow me. And as it happened, uh, you know, there's a bit about the rumour about John living, for, living until Jesus came again. Well, John did die. He was the only one of the apostles not to be martyred. Uh, he lived to be an old man. And um, do you know, when John was an old man, all the, old, the ancient testaments say that he was carried around from place to place. And all he would say was, dear children, love one another. That's, that's pretty well all that he would say. Dear children, love one another. And you can read his letters and you can hear that message come out. So the most important question is, do you love me? And the most important command from Jesus is, follow me.